Greetings to those who watch below. On today's video, I am joined by the fantastic narrator Insomniac as we deal with five truly creepy real life experiences. I still haven't found my butcher knife by Nurse Ratched Seven. About two weeks ago, my state had a stretch of some early springtime weather. It happened to be my weekend off, so I made the most of it and decided to invite my boyfriend down to enjoy the outdoors. A quick description of my place first. It's a two-story townhouse with a very open floor plan on the ground level. I have a patio in the front, right outside my dining room, and the dining room is right off the kitchen. It's a straight line. As you're facing the patio doors from outside, my living room is to the left, and to the left of my couch is my front door. Early Saturday, me and my boyfriend grilled steaks on the patio for breakfast, then got dressed and laughed. We didn't return till after 2am, headed upstairs and went to sleep. We woke up and left early Sunday morning, returning at dusk. He had to work early Monday, so needed to make the two hour drive back home. It was getting dark, so I started to close all my blinds. I noticed my patio door wasn't locked, but my boyfriend doesn't always lock his doors at home, so he sometimes forgets to do it at mine. No biggie. I locked them, but put down a piece of wood in the track. It prevents the door from being slid open, and went to pop open a bottle of wine before I settled onto my couch to relax. I reached for the handheld corkscrew that I keep near a wine rack on my kitchen counter. It wasn't there. It wasn't on my counter at all. I assumed I threw it in my utensil drawer, but couldn't find it there either. I wasn't too concerned. I have another corkscrew, so I used that one and propped my feet upon the couch and watched TV. I nodded off. No idea for how long, but a noise woke me up. As I sat there still in a sleepy haze, I realised it was coming from the patio off to my right, next to the couch I was sleeping on. Figuring it was one of the many cats that wanders the neighbourhood climbing onto my patio furniture, I rolled over to go back to sleep. As soon as I closed my eyes, I heard the noise again. A rattling sound. Quiet, but persistent. By now I was super annoyed, and jumped off my couch ready to fling open the door and shoo someone's creeping kitty. I unlocked the patio door, and as I started to pull it open, I stared into the face of a man, eyes wild, his hand gripping the outside handle of my patio door. I froze, in complete shock, and we stared back at each other. After what felt like an eternity, he ran off and disappeared into the darkness. I was shaken but had my wits about me enough to immediately call the police. I have an older brother and sister who stay five minutes away, so I called them and they came over to stay with me for the rest of the night. After the police left and things calmed down, my sister eventually drifted upstairs and to sleep, while my brother played video games on my couch. I was too riled up to sleep, so I decided to cook, both to just be doing something normal and to burn off some energy. I started to gather up my tools, and when I reached my block of knives, my hand froze. My butcher knife wasn't there. I got a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach as I opened my dishwasher 
because I knew it wouldn't be there. I hoped with every piece of me that it would, but I knew, and it wasn't. I searched every drawer in my house, hoping, but nothing. My corkscrew turned up in my mailbox. The guys who do the landscaping for my complex told me they found it in the grass. It's been almost two weeks, and I still haven't found my butcher knife. The Smoker in the Woods by Binger of the Nachos This story happened about two years ago while I was in university working on my degree in biology. I had signed up for a trip to gather samples for an experiment some students in the ecology department were going to run. It required the collection of samples from several sites so they recruited biology, ecology and forestry majors to help them complete the sampling in a shorter period of time. The area that my group was to take samples from was a few hours from my uni in the Pacific Northwest. There are nine of us in my group, eight are students and there's a supervising professor. We got to the campsite in late evening and set up our tents. One of the other students had brought a big container of split pea soup from home and was sharing it with the others on the trip. I don't really care for split pea soup so I decided to decline his offer. Everybody in the group decided to accept some, except for me, one other student and the professor. Coming the next morning, the five students who had actually ate the soup weren't in the best of shape. They were in the grips of some gnarly food poisoning and were in no shape for a hike whatsoever. The professor who was supervising us had originally set some rules such as people travel in groups of at least two and that we had to be back to the camp by nightfall. Now, all of them rules were tossed out to make sure that we were able to collect all of the required samples. We were just told to do our best to complete the work assigned as long as it's possible that we can do it safely. So, the following morning, I was set out for a long day of hiking. After a mile or so, I ran into the stream I was supposed to follow. I needed to travel about four miles up the stream, stopping every quarter mile to collect samples of water and soil. This meant I had to hustle to get back before dark. Halfway through the day, I realized that it wasn't going to happen. About two miles into my hike, I stopped for lunch sitting on a log overlooking the stream. The scene was really peaceful, until I smelt cigarettes. It wasn't the smell of a cigarette being smoked, more the musty smell of a heavy smoker's car where cigarette butts had been left to just ferment for weeks on end. I decided to have a quick look round, but I couldn't see anyone. I just assumed that the wind had blown the scent of some hunter or hiker over to me, but minutes later it hadn't faded. The vegetation in the area wasn't that thick, but there were lots of places where somebody could have easily ducked behind a tree or bush. I was unnerved that someone was apparently staying close enough to me for me to be able to smell this for a long time without so much as a word coming out of them. I quickly packed up the trash from my lunch and continued up the stream. The musty cigarette smell went away for the next few hours. It wasn't until I arrived at my last sample location that I smelled it again. The woods were getting really dim by this point. Looking back on it, 
it was a really stupid idea to stay out so late as just hiking back to the camp in the dark would be pretty dangerous, even without a cigarette smoking stalker. Having just put the collection tubes in my bag, I shine my flashlight around the darkness of the woods looking for whoever it was giving off this smell. I didn't see anything that caught my attention, it would actually be more accurate if I said that I saw too many things in the dim light that might have been a head sticking out from behind a tree, or somebody crouching in the low foliage. I didn't like the idea of being in the dark woods with a stranger who, for the second time, was lurking me without revealing their position, so I began to double time it back down the stream. I made much better time on my way back even though it was dark because I didn't have to stop to take any samples. Even so, I didn't get back to the camp till a bit before 10. I was the last one to get back and everybody but the professor was already asleep. I didn't mention the cigarette smell to the professor because he seemed tired as it was and he had headed to his bed in the RV as soon as I got back. So I headed straight to my tent soon after. So I went to bed for a short while but at some point in the night I woke up needing to pee. I decided to head into the woods to do my business as I knew some of the other students were feeling ill and needed the RV toilet for urgent matters rather than just me needing a leak. I walked about 100 feet into the woods and found a tree that I was able to do what I needed. As I turned to go back something caught my eye. Somewhere off in the woods there was a tiny red glow. I was confused as to what it could have been until it flared up my memory and I realised that it was a cherry of a cigarette. I stood there for a while watching the red ember glow fade then move slightly closer to the ground as whoever was smoking would take it out of their mouth. Not being able to see the person, I assumed that they were watching the camp. I didn't know if they had seen me make my way into the woods or not, as the fire had been doused and the moon was only half full, so there wasn't very much light. I made my way back slowly to the camp as quietly as I could and entered the RV to wake up our professor. I told him about the person smoking in the woods and about the smell of cigarettes earlier that day, however, when we got outside the RV, the ember of the cigarette was gone. My professor woke the other student who hadn't come down with food poisoning and we took it in turns to watch over our camp. I didn't see anything or smell anything else when I was on guard duty and went to sleep when the professor woke up for his turn. In the morning, the professor, the other student and I went to where the, I guess the smoker had been standing the night before and surely enough, we found about 10 cigarette butts on the ground next to the tree. The tree itself looked like somebody had been twisting and stabbing a knife or another sharp object into the branch and we could see the outer layers of the wood where they had been damaged and chipped away slowly going deeper into the tree. The professor decided that the group should head back that day though we hadn't collected all the samples that we were assigned to just so that we could be on the safe side. We packed up and drove down the thin dirt trail without incident. The second we got onto the paved highway though, a white van pulled out of a clearing just off the shoulder and began following us. This van stayed behind us the whole way back, 
pulling off the highway when we did, taking the same surface streets that we did. It only stopped following us as we turned onto the road leading to our university campus. Everybody was freaked out by this, but it was around 9 at night on a weekend so the security office campus was closed. We decided to unload the RV and call it a night, as the van hadn't followed us onto the campus. I then offered the professor the catalogue and the collection tubes from our trip, so it was another couple of hours before I left the biological sciences building and started heading towards the dorm building that I lived in. I stepped out into the cool night air and began walking, my professor having left the building in the other direction to get his car drove home. It was a couple of feet outside of the building that was now locked that I was hit with the smell of musty old cigarettes. I looked around and about 25 yards away in the darkness off the footpath, I saw the cherry glow of a cigarette smouldering away. I was pretty scared at this point, but hoped it was only a student or some guy staying out late having a smoke. I wasn't completely convinced myself as the smell of the cigarettes was identical to the one that I had smelt the previous night in the woods. I sighted down the footpath and as soon as I passed whoever was smoking, a hundred feet or so later I looked over my shoulder and saw the cigarette cherry bobbing up and down in the darkness. The smoker was now following me. This creeped me out a little bit more, but I held it together. This is until I rounded a small tree that I could then see a white van parked alongside it. I took off and sprinted towards my dorm building. I looked over my shoulder every few steps as I ran and I saw the cherry of the cigarette fall onto the ground and a dark shape beginning to close in on me. I didn't look back again but I could hear someone running off the grass and onto the path. I got to the entrance of my dorm building and I frantically waved my key in the front door so that the controller could be unlocked. As soon as I heard the soft beep, I opened the door, jumped through the doorway and shut it as quickly as possible. I stopped and peered through the glass door. I then saw a dark shape stop just short of the lit pathway. I watched for a minute or two then I saw the spark of a lighter. The light is just barely bright enough to illuminate a shaggy beard and a brim of a baseball cap before it suddenly disappears as soon as it appeared and was replaced with the red glow of a cigarette. I turned and headed up the stairs to my dorm. By the time I get to my window overlooking the same yard I just ran, there is no trace of a dark figure or a cigarette cherry. Slice You by Throwaway Slice You I was about 25 at the time and out drinking with a friend the night it started. We ended up talking to some women at a pub most of the night and went back to their place. Just my luck, the woman I liked passed out on the couch so I decided to walk home at 2.30am like an idiot. The city I live in is a decent size, with good and bad neighbourhoods. Unfortunately, I had to walk through one of the worst to get home, which was a few miles away. I only had about $10 to my name, so a cab wasn't happening. About halfway home, I passed a 24-hour adult novelty store 
and of course my drunk brain decides it's a good idea to check it out. As I'm flipping through the latest issue of some smut mag, I notice they have an area with private booths showing videos. I really wish I had never walked in there. I step into a dark booth and deposit some quarters. The screen comes on, and there's a button to switch between different videos. To the side of the button, I see movement, so I look closer, and it's a small hole, and I can see an eye looking at me. Immediately, I got out of the booth and walked out, too embarrassed to tell the guy working. So, I continue on my way home, a little grossed out, but glad I noticed the eye before it got a show. About five minutes of walking, and I get that feeling. I turned my head quick, and he freezes. He's across the street, about a hundred feet behind me, but I can see him clearly from the streetlight. He looked to be in his fifties, with shoulder-length grey hair, and a long, pale face with penetrating eyes. We stared at each other for a second, until I noticed he had something in his hand. His shoes. My first thought was, this guy's trying to sneak up on me, which pissed me off bad. I yelled, fuck you, in the deepest voice my vocal cords could muster, and he turned and walked back in the direction we came. My adrenaline was pumping at this point, and I was pretty scared, so I ran for a while until I was positive the guy was long gone. A little more walking, and I'm finally home, safe in my bed. Something wakes me up, and the clock says 4.30am. A few seconds go by, and I hear it again loud and clear. It's a cigarette lighter, right outside my first floor window. I laid there, wondering if this guy actually ran and followed me home. I didn't hear the lighter again, or anything else, but I stayed in bed listening until the sun came up. Once it was light outside, I looked out my window, but saw nobody. So grabbed a bat and went to look outside. The guy was gone, but he left me a note in the dirt under my window. Just two words. Slice you. My apartment lease was up in a month, and I spent that month paranoid and hardly sleeping, but luckily I never saw him again. Once the lease was up, I moved across town, but I still wonder if I'll ever bump into him again. Terrifying true encounter with machete-carrying thugs in the Lost Padres Forest by Chalk and Shorty. In March of 2003, when I was 17, my younger brother and I took a weekend camping trip up to the Lost Padres National Forest. We had gone there many times with our family for day camping, swimming and just lounging around. This time though, we went alone for a two night camping trip at our favourite spot that most of the locals simply call the Gorge. We will never forget this weekend for all the wrong reasons though. We got there at Saturday morning at around 9am and hiked the five miles out to the Gorge. Now the gorge is a large swimming hole with a huge 60 foot cliff rock boulder that visitors love to jump from into the deep water below. The jumping rock cliff is very steep and one must be in a specific location below to ensure that they don't hit the rocks. 
The gorge has many primitive camping areas and is an overall beautiful yet isolated place. The first day was very fun and after a long day of swimming, catching crawl dads, jumping from the rocks and relaxing, we set up our tent and made a fire, ate our cans of spaghetti and had a few of the crawl dads that we had caught to eat for dinner. Towards the end of dinner, we were visited by a large group of students who were camping further down the river. They stated that they were students from the Bay Area who had a few nights left in their almost a week long school camping trip. We offered them some of our chips and snacks and chatted to them to a bit before they eventually made their hike back to their camping spot. It soon got dark and my brother and I got ready for bed. My brother was two years younger than I was and had a deep fear of isolation so we had to sleep in the same tent and agreed that we would keep our fire burning the entirety of the night simply to ease his anxiety. We put five large logs in the fire and crept inside our tents and got into our sleeping bags. We both fell asleep very fast as we were both exhausted from our activities during the day. Then. At around 2.30 in the morning, we were both awoken by a large splash of water near our tent that put out our fire. No voices though, and we also couldn't see much from inside our tent. We were frozen in fear. My brother began to cry and I tried to calm him down. I told him that I would go outside to investigate and that everything would be alright. I told him that our water bladder must have fell from the tree where we hung it from and I'm sure it was some kind of coincidence, I told him. I then grabbed my flashlight, unzipped our tent and stepped outside. I pointed the flashlight over to the fire pit and saw four large men sitting around our fireplace, all staring back at me with what I can only describe as expressionless faces. It appeared as though they had slit our two gallon water bladder open that we had hanging over the tree and thrown it into the fire. I was in shock though. I didn't know what to say. For about five seconds, none of them said anything. We just stared at each other. Then, one of them said in a very drunk voice, Get your friend out here. I then heard my hyperventilating brother scream and cry in our tent. He felt so helpless, and I did too. I had no weapons on me, and my brother and I were outnumbered two to one. I asked them what they wanted, and they told me that we could leave, just that we were sorry if we had taken their camping spot or invaded their area. They ignored my question and just stood up. This is when I saw that two of the four men were holding something in their hands long sword shaped in appearance like a machete or a small sword but they looked homemade and very primitive the man yelled at us and asked us to bring ourselves over to them i thought for a second that these might be drunk rangers getting mad at us for having too big of a fire but once i glanced at their clothing and saw their baggy jean pants and their black and gray hoodie type clothing i knew that we weren't that lucky I had heard in the past that drug dealers or other dodgy people had been caught hiding large amounts of marijuana plants in the forest and if these men were some of these men who somehow felt that we were a threat or to be cops, 
I knew that if this was true, we were in fear for our lives. The men did not touch us directly or threaten us with violence, but I definitely felt an implication to do whatever they wanted, and I felt threatened by the tone in their voice and believed that we had no choice in the matter. My brother who was still crying and I followed the lead male, while the other three men fell back behind us. My brother put his hand on my shoulder and was now visibly shaking. He then whispered to me that they were walking in the direction of the 60 plus foot rock cliff. He then said that we needed to run. I was petrified and hadn't been paying any attention to where we were getting led to until I realised he was right. I stopped dead in my tracks and said to the men, what are you going to do to us? The lead mouth stated in a slurred voice, nothing, we're just going to have fun with you. I felt that we really had no choice but to do what they wanted and hoped that they were merely messing with us and that this would all be over soon. About 30 seconds of walking later, we arrived at the jumping spot on the top bounder overlooking the gorge swimming area. One of the men then stated, have you guys ever jumped from here? I told them that yes I had but my brother had not as it was still a pretty high jump and was very dangerous for most people due to the height and the rocks below. The men then laughed and again called my brother a wussy. I had told them that we were not as I had jumped from this spot before but it was not safe to do it in the dark. The men then formed a half circle around us and one of the men said, I, I want to see, show us that you're not a bunch of wussies. I screamed at them that it was far too dangerous to do in the night and that during the day it was bad enough. I told them that there are many rocks that you have to avoid because if you didn't jump correctly they would kill you. I pleaded and pleaded and the men just laughed and took a few steps closer to us. I was beyond scared and could hear my heart beating through my ears. My brother by this point was crying so loudly and saying things that I couldn't understand. He was beyond terrified and so was I. I grabbed his hand and told him that we needed to get away from these men and we're in great danger. I told him that I had jumped off before into the water and knew where to jump and told him that if he jumped with me he would be okay. I told him I would use my flashlight to help guide us and that I would tell him where to put his feet and how far to jump. The men laughed at us as we had a conversation and showed zero humility or pity. I held my brother's hand and placed his feet with my hand on a specific place on a rock ledge where I remembered jumping from the last time when I was here a few months ago. I told him that I knew he was scared but we needed to jump as far out as possible and slightly to the right, otherwise we would hit the rocks. He was shaking and crying and kept telling me that he couldn't do it. He then urinated on the floor and the men laughed and laughed and kept saying that they couldn't believe how scared we were. I then told my brother we needed to jump now and that he would be okay if he listens to me. I told him that after we jumped that we would swim to the shore on the right and would hide in the bushes until the daybreak and then we would go from there. I then grabbed his hand tightly and told him that 
When we hit the water, he needed to tuck his legs and arms in so that they wouldn't get hurt from the impact, and I then instructed him that we needed to swim hard to the surface, as we'd be going pretty far in the water because of the height of where that we were jumping from. I then grabbed his hand, and we jumped. I pulled him hard with me to ensure that he would be safe from the rocks below, and that he jumped far enough. We fell for what felt like an eternity, though it was only a few seconds in reality. My brother yelled the whole way down, in a way that I'd never heard from another human before. Terror, dread and the fear of immediate death reverberating from his voice. Truly harrowing, as I felt helpless and almost forgot that for those few seconds we had to be careful how we hit. And then we hit the water. As soon as we hit, I lost a grip on my brother's hand, but I did hear a second impact in the water. I swam up towards the surface with all my energy and took a deep breath. I then listened out for my brother and heard nothing. I panicked and dove down into the water to try and grab him. Just as I dove, I felt his leg brush against my hand and realized that he was about to resurface. I swam up again and heard my brother. He was crying and kept saying that his arm hit a rock and that he couldn't feel it. The men above were laughing again and I heard one of them say, They made it. Those wussies made it. I then heard objects splashing in the water around us and realised that they were throwing beer bottles or rocks or some other hard objects at us. I grabbed my brother by his shirt and helped him swim to the nearby shore from memory of where it was. The whole time we swam, many objects landed dangerously close to us and it felt like if any of those had actually hit us, it would have either killed us or caused great bodily harm, especially if we were hit in the head. My flashlight had been lost in the fall and we were in complete darkness now. We reached the water's edge and I pulled my brother to the shore. Objects were constantly raining down around us and we could hear the men yelling and laughing. I told my brother that we needed to run. He was crying and he was holding his injured arm that he still said that he couldn't feel or use. I had a deep cut around my elbow and even with the starlight we could see that it was a serious injury. We stumbled down the tree line and began making our way through the darkness to one of the main trails whose location I remembered from past memory. We fell again and again and were cut by branches and rocks all over our bodies as we wandered about down the overgrown trail. Everything in my body told me that we needed to keep going and get as far away from these men as we could. We walked for many minutes until we could no longer hear the men and waited. I wrapped my brother's arm with my shirt and told him that it was over and that we would be alright now, all we had to do is wait until the morning for help. We sat in that spot all night and my brother's cries were continuous and shook for hours. I had just put my arm around him and patted his head as I did when we were children whenever he had a panic attack and our parents were not around. At daybreak, we could finally see the severity of his injuries. He had a deep gash in his arm and shoulder and it was obviously dislocated. 
I helped him hike up the nearby trail and we walked all the way back to the base camp ranger station. We explained about what had happened to the rangers and they sent two armed officers to go and investigate the location. My brother was sent to a nearby hospital for treatment and I joined him on the ambulance over. The rangers slash police never found the men but did retrieve most of our gear. The scary thing about the incident? That's that two teenagers the same week were found dead at the bottom of the gorge jumping area and their group had encountered a group of people before as we did in the same location with similar objects like machetes that chase them down off their camping spot. I am glad to be alive and my brother and I have never went camping again alone or have never been back to that location and never will. All we have left from this incident are the scars on my brother's arm and a hospital bill and a loss of trauma. I can only hope that their deaths were accidents and the authorities ruled this correctly. I did not find out about their deaths until seven years later but was horrified about the similar circumstances and timing of the two events. Horror movies saved my life. My vehicles shock me. When I was in 8th grade, my parents separated. Basically, my mum packed her and I up one night and we moved into my grandpa's and didn't look back. We ended up living there through my high school years, and when my father died, my parents officially were divorced. My mum remarried and we moved into the city with my stepfather. My grandpa lived on the first floor of the apartment and the owners, an elderly couple who were family to us through marriage, lived on the second floor. The property also had a small in-law cottage out in the back where my uncle lived. For some reason that I will never understand, there was no lock to get into the actual building if you entered through the back. The back door opened into a landing where there was a locked and deadbolted door to our apartment, and then two sets of stairs. One led up to the also locked and deadbolted door of the second floor apartment, and the other led down to the basement, where there was also no lock. Our apartment could be entered from the front of the building, but in order to access the second floor apartment of the basement, you had to go through the landing. The basement was actually pretty nice, and at one point they had started to convert it into its own apartment, before they ultimately decided to make the in-law cottage instead. So in the basement there was a full kitchen complete with an oven, sink and refrigerator. The washer and dryer, which was shared by all of us, was also in the basement, as well as some general storage stuff. The basement was entirely open, except for a back room that was full of storage. It had one of those kinds of swinging saloon type doors, where you can see above and beneath them. The storage area was longer than it was deep, so you couldn't really see anything much behind the doors aside from shelves. You had to walk in them and turn to really see the room. One night when I was in high school, I think I was 15 at the time, after taking a shower, I saw the laundry bin in the bathroom was pretty full, so I grabbed a ton of laundry and headed down towards the basement. It was pretty late at night, but I figured I would at least get it started and move some things over in the morning. I tossed everything onto the ground and started sorting colours when I got hit with a horrible feeling in my gut. The basement was not at all a creepy basement, 
It was well lit and pretty welcoming with the kitchen and everything, but for some reasons that I can't explain, something just started to feel wrong. Anyone who has ever been hit with the feeling that they are being watched knows exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know how or why it came over me, but it was something that I couldn't shake, and I found myself looking over the saloon doors and the only part of the basement that I couldn't see in its entirety. I don't know why, maybe just to assure myself that I was being a big baby, I started to walk towards the back room, but stopped myself just as I reached out towards the swinging doors. I've been a horror fan for as long as I can remember, and had seen more horror films than I could count, and I knew that if I was in a movie, I would be calling myself a dumbass and saying not to go into that back room. I quickly snapped my hand back and ran up the stairs, leaving all the clothes behind and into our apartment, where I locked the doors and immediately told my mum that I had just had the worst feeling in the basement, and that I was super creeped out. Despite me not being the type of person that scares easily, she basically rolled her eyes at me and told me to go to bed. I ended up doing as I was told, though it took me a bit to shake the feeling and finally fall asleep. Later that night, my bladder woke me, and I stumbled out of my room to go to the bathroom. I didn't turn any of the lights on as I started making my way towards the bathroom, because it usually woke my grandpa and I didn't want to bother him. When I got closer to the bathroom, I noticed my mum standing in the doorway of her bedroom, and something looked off, and it took me a moment to realise that she was clutching the phone. She then noticed me, and whispered me to get against the wall, which I did without hesitation. It took a few moments for the grogginess to wear off, and my eyes to adjust to the darkness before I could see what she did. My mum's bedroom was immediately off to the kitchen. The kitchen was where the back door that led to the landing in the basement was located. The door had a tiny window up top, with a small but thick curtain. It was thin enough that you could see that someone was outside the door, but thick enough to not be able to make out any of the features of the person on the other side. But there was someone on the other side of the door, and every now and then, the doorknob would move, and you could hear this scratching sound on the other side. I have never been so afraid in my entire life. I'm not sure how I managed to do what I did next. It was like someone else had taken control over me entirely. I slid down against the wall that I was clinging to, and started to crawl against it in the darkness towards the kitchen. My mum looked petrified, watching back and forth between me and the back door. She kept whispering for me to stop and go back but I kept moving forward, low and against the wall, towards the counter where I carefully grabbed a butcher knife. I was shaking the whole time I moved with the knife in my hand on the ground next to the fridge, which was next to the door the man was trying to get into. I had this horrible feeling that I was going to be killed, but if I was, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. It felt like I was sat there forever in the darkness next to the door, with my mum hiding in the bedroom doorway across from me, just waiting. But it was only for a few minutes. My mum had already called 911 before I had woken up and stumbled my way towards the bathroom. The lights from approaching squad cars soon filled the kitchen, and from the other side of the door, I could hear a sudden clamouring and commotion, and the slam of the back screen bursting open as the would-be assailant took off running. It was around 3am when this happened, so it was completely dark outside, and we lived by some train tracks and very thick bushes. 
and trees that made it easy for the man to escape the cop that pursued him. The police came in and took statements from my mum and I. My grandpa, who was partially deaf, had managed to sleep through almost the entire thing until the police came through to search the apartment and make sure that we were okay. The outside of the door and the doorknob were both covered in deep scratches like someone had been going at it with a knife, trying to figure out how to get in, but that wasn't the most horrifying part to me. That was reserved for the basement. The clothes that I had brought down were not where I had left them, and they had been thrown about and dishevelled. And the back room, the one with the swinging door that I had stopped myself from going in, the boxes that were out of view had also been thrown about, all opened, obviously gone through with something's missing, and there were some wrappers of food on the floor. He had been down there looking for something to steal. He was down there when I went down to do laundry. I'd almost walked into that room, and based on what we had seen with the door, he had a knife. To this day, I can't help but find myself sometimes thinking about what would have happened if I walked into that room. Hi guys, Brimstone here. I really hope you enjoyed today's videos, and massive thank you to Insomniac for coming aboard and helping me. You will find the other half of our collaboration on his channel, which I've linked in the description box below. If you enjoy the content I create, please make sure to subscribe to the channel. Also, like, share, comment, everything like that. The liking doesn't do much when it makes me feel better about myself. Coming up later this week, we have a countdown video, which um, will be on the paranormal theme. You'll, you'll see why in a minute. Because on Saturday, the 18th of March, at 9pm GMT, I will be doing a live stream right here on YouTube. That night, I am at the Haunted Leopard Inn pub in Burslem, and will be doing a quick pre-investigation stream, and also a live tour of the haunted building for you all, so you don't want to miss that out. So, until next time, sleep tight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.